Did you notice a pattern last class? And we're going to pick up this pattern and we're going to go with this for a couple weeks. So here's my spirit. Here's my body. Did you notice the pattern that this is related to this? So what I do with my body affects the flow of information from heaven. Let me just push that a little bit. This is connected to this. What if I drew that a little bit differently? This is connected to this. Now that becomes a major theme in the gospel. This is the first commandment. And what's this? The second commandment. So today we're going to add another one. And he's deliberately going to make a connection that we're now, that after that, we're going to generalize. Other people. Other people in my life affect the flow of information to heaven. Now, I want, we're going to do a specific example of that today that's worth an entire day of talking about it. But I also kind of want you to see the pattern that the hearing him has a lot to do with what I do on the sides of my life. What I do with my body, what do I do socially? And so let's see if we can talk about one aspect of that and then we'll just kind of pick that up as a theme for the next few few weeks. But I want to get to a doctrine that he teaches specifically to point out the fact that how I treat other people, my relationship with other people, affects the flow of information. And that's an important doctrine, is that we are all here together. This mortal experience is, was never intended to just be a whole bunch of individuals having an individual experience. We are designed to have a social experience. Even in the plan of salvation, can I, can I be exalted? Can I have eternal life without another human being? Now, there's a message in that. My relationship with God is connected to my relationship with other people. So one of the best ways to hear him is to fix some of the challenges I have with other people. Let's do a specific one. I'm going to bring this up here because I want to read this together. It turned to Doctrine and Covenants. Open up the Doctrine and Covenants because we're, we'll use this one as a specific that will springboard us into a bigger discussion. Section 64. Doctrine and Covenants, Section 64. There are two doctrines taught in Section 64 that are significant. Now, we're going to do them one at a time, but we'll put them together. Okay, Doctrine and Covenants, Section 64, verse 8. Ready? My disciples in days of old sought occasion against one another and forgave not one another in their hearts. 
and for this evil they were afflicted and sorely chastened. Now may I suggest, I do not believe God was afflicting and chastening them. I do not believe what it says is, my disciples didn't forgive each other, for which I, meaning the Lord, afflicted them. I believe what he's saying is, if you don't learn to forgive others, that poison will hurt you. An unforgiving heart will not hurt the person who hurt you. An unforgiving heart will hurt you. So let me point out how, how dumb this is. You hurt me, and then I hate you for it, and so I hurt me. Now I get hurt twice. The first time you hurt me. Now that wasn't my choice. You hurt me. You offended me. You did something that was hurtful to me. But if I choose to not forgive, Guess what happens next? I hurt me. An unforgiving heart is going to poison you. Let me give you an example. This is from um, a general authority, H. Burke Peterson. But I can testify, come on. For much of our lives, we lived in central Arizona. I did too. I lived in Arizona for quite a while. Some years ago, a group of teenagers from the local high school went on an all-day picnic into the desert of the, uh, in the outskirts of Phoenix. As some of you know, the desert foliage is rather sparse, mostly mesquite, cat caught cat claw and palo verde trees with a few cactus scattered here and there. In the heat of the summer where there are thickets of this desert growth, you may also find rattlesnakes as unwelcomed residents. These young people were picnicking and playing and during their frolicking, one of the girls was bitten on the ankle by a rattlesnake. As is the case with such a bite, the rattler's fangs released venom almost immediately into her bloodstream. This very moment of time was a time of critical decision. They could immediately begin to extract the poison from her leg, or they could search out the snake and destroy it. Their decision made, the girl and her young friends pursued the snake. It slipped quickly into the undergrowth and avoided them for 15 or 20 minutes. Finally, they found it, and rocks and stones soon avenged the affliction. Then they remembered their companion had been bitten. They became aware of her discomfort, as by now the venom had had time to move from the surface of the skin deep into the tissues of her foot and leg. Within another 30 minutes, they were at the emergency room of the hospital. By then, the venom was well into its work of destruction. A couple of days later, I was asked to visit her in the hospital. As I entered her room, I saw a pathetic sight. Her foot and leg were elevated, swollen almost beyond recognition. 
The tissue in her limb had been destroyed by the poison, and a few days later it was found that her leg would have to be amputated below the knee. It was a senseless sacrifice, this price of revenge. How much better it would have been if after the young woman had been bitten, there had been an extraction of the venom from the leg in a process known to all desert dwellers. How did it help her to kill the snake? How was she better because the snake is dead? She's not. Now she's word off. First, the snake hurt her, and then she hurt her. So I know people have done horrible things to you. Every one of us, I know people have done some really horrible things, and that hurt you. But then we do the worst thing, and we hate them, and hold a grudge, and resent them, and fail to forgive them, and now we hurt us. And that's dumb. I can't stop people from hurting me, but I can stop people. I can stop me from hurting me. So doctrine number one is the failure to forgive here will hurt me. That's dumb. I don't need to add more pain when someone hurts me by having an unforgiving heart. Now, back to section 64, he connects that to the second doctrine, and this one we need to talk about. So first of all, an unforgiving heart will hurt you. Now, doctrine number two, verse nine. Now, this is a difficult, and let me explain it. We're going to have to talk about this. Wherefore, I say unto you that you ought to forgive one another, for he, for he that forgiveth not his brother his trespasses standeth condemned before the Lord. Why? For there remaineth in him the greater sin. Now we're going to explain that. But I hurt. I do the worst thing. Now that doesn't mean the guy that rapes a girl and she hates him. He's not saying that an unforgiving heart is worse than rape. So we need to talk about what is going on when he says, if you don't forgive, you commit the greater sin. So let's do that with a parable. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. There is a parable in the New Testament that's going to explain in what way do I commit the greater sin if I don't forgive. Let's start in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 23. Now, Naomi, do you mind reading? Because I'm going to draw this as you read. Just start in 23 and read to the very end. Matthew 18 to the very end. That's interesting. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants, and when he began to reckon one would have brought unto him which owed him ten thousand pounds, and were it money, and he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold his wife and children, and all that he had to be it to him. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I shall pay thee well, and I shall I will pay thee all. 
And the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. And the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat and asked him what thou owed. And the fellow servant fell down at his feet in the cross, saying, How could you forgive me as a free lady? And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they, they were very sorry and came and told their Lord all that was done. And his Lord, after that he had called him and said, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest thou not have also had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him into the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father also do also unto you, if you from your heart forgive not every one his Okay, I, we gotta make sure, I gotta make sure you understand the end of the parable. Tell me how it ended. So servant number one owes the king 10,000 talents. Couldn't pay it. Is supposed to go to jail to pay it off. His wife's gonna be sold, his family's gonna be sold to pay the debt. So he begs for forgiveness and the king forgives a 10,000 talent debt. Servant number two owes servant number one a hundred pence. And he can't pay it. So he was just forgiven by the king 10,000 talents and is unwilling to forgive this debt of a hundred pence. So who did he insult? Now this is, this is just, this is justice. He can go ahead and ask for justice. But who does he insult by not forgiving servant number two? The kindness of, of the king who gave mercy to servant number one. He insulted the king. You gave me mercy and I couldn't give mercy. So tell me how the parable ends. Very important that you understand how the parable ends. When the king finds out what servant number one did, tell me what the king does. Did you catch the ending? He gets the debt back. So what did not forgiving servant number two cost servant number one? Initially, his debt was forgiven, but because he wouldn't forgive, he got his debt back. So let's put some, let's figure out these amounts so we can put some dollar figures. Let's put modern day dollar figures on this story. Now I'll save you the time. I need someone with a calculator. Anyone got a calculator? Who's going to be my addition, my calculator? Jeff, you got it? I got it? Okay, you be my calculator. One talent equals 75.6 pounds. Now that's in the Bible dictionary. I'll just save you the trouble of looking up. But one talent equals 75.6 pounds. So let's convert that to ounces. So I need you to do 75.6 times 16. So one talent is, sorry, this marker's not doing great. I'm going to switch. Okay, say that again. Ounces, right? Now I'm going to make the assumption that we're talking about gold, that this debt is gold, 10,000 talents of gold. So I looked up the price of gold this morning. As of this morning, gold 
is $1,843.90 per ounce. So let's convert one talent into dollars. So multiply that by 1,843.9. One talent equals... That's $2,230,331. is one talent. And the guy owes the king 10000 So let's add four zeros. If I add four zeros and move my commas, how much does servant one owe the king? $22 billion. Now, what's his occupation? He's not an oil tycoon. He's not Jeff Bezos. He's not Elon Musk, who just, in, you know, sells electric cars. This is a king's servant. He picks up horse poop. He washes dishes, and he owes the king $22 billion, which he will never pay back. And because he can't pay it back, he begs for mercy, and the king does what? What does the king do? Now, what kind of king can forgive $22 billion debt? Oh, you owe me $22, you can't pay it, it's okay. What kind of king can forgive a $22 billion debt? That's astounding. But he begs for mercy. Servant number one begs for mercy. And the king looses him from a $22 billion debt. Now let's figure this amount out. Ready? I need your calculator again. Okay. A pence. There's a parable in Matthew where they're going to work from sunup to sundown. They're going to work 12 hours and they're going to be paid a penny. So most entry-level positions, 15 bucks an hour. Let's say 15 bucks an hour. So $15 an hour times 12 hours is one penny, which is what? $15 an hour times 12 hours. So $180 would be one penny, and this is 100 pennies. So that's 100 with two more zeros. So how much does servant two owe servant number one? 18,000. Now that's a lot of money. If someone owed you $18,000, you'd probably want it, right? But that is not a lot of money compared to 22 billion. Do you see the message of the parable? Now, here's my choice. Here's the rule. Here is the divine rule. God's mercy to you is related to your mercy to others. Again, just like with the body, you control the flow. You control the amount that heaven comes down by the way you control your body. Well, you control the amount of mercy you receive 
by granting mercy. You control his mercy. Now, I would, I would say this man's an idiot who is so concerned about you owing me 18000 What does his insisting on being paid $18,000 end up costing him? So he gains 18000 and loses $22 billion. That's horrible. And yet you and I do the same thing. When we insist that other people pay the debt they owe us, it costs us $22 billion. If you're so concerned about that person who offended you and making sure that that debt gets paid, you lost $22 billion in the exchange. That's horrible. Now, the opposite is if you're willing to let go of 18000 someone did something horrible to you. Did you hear about the lady this weekend? You know, it's All-Star Weekend. Some lady wanted to buy her son, who loves the NBA, tickets to the All-Star game. She, she spent $1,000 to buy two nosebleed tickets in Vivint Arena to take her son to the All-Star game. And it ended up being a scam, and she's out $1,000. Now, make you angry? Make you mad? Hate the person who did it? Now, how about we kick that up a notch? I have a student who was abused most of her childhood by her father. Now, I can't even imagine going through that. She spent her days terrified of her father who abused a little girl. Would you hate him? Would you be angry? Would you want him to pay the debt you, uh, that he owed you? Now, her father owes her a tremendous debt for what he did to her. Now, she can spend her life demanding her father pay her, fix what he broke, pay the debt. And what will it cost her? What will insist? Now, that's an enormous debt. Probably more than $1,000 that this lady lost in the ticket scam. But even that debt that he owes his daughter, if she insists on him paying that debt, what does she lose? $22 billion. So first he hurt her, and then she hurts her. And the one thing she doesn't need is to be hurt again. And so here's the deal. Here's the doctrine. If you want to be free of the $22 billion debt you owe the king, let go of the 18000 As big as that seems, if you want to be free of the $22 billion debt, 
let go of the 18,000. Stop hurting yourself when someone else hurts you. Now, I know why we do it. I know why we hold on to it. Why do we hold on? Can I tell you what she said? Let me tell you why she held on. And I know why we do it. It makes a perfect sense. Let me read her exact words. Boy, internet's really slow today. For years, I have been trying to forgive my dad for his cruelty towards me and my other family members. I was that little girl who never felt safe around her daddy. As an adult seeking for healing, I have met with priesthood leaders, therapists who specialize on trauma and have counseled with my heavenly father, but still my pain from my experiences would not go away. Most of it deep down was me not wanting to forgive and release him. I felt that if I forgave him, then it would make okay, it would make it okay what he did to me. Like no justice would need to be met out because I forgave him and we were all good. It would let him off the hook. I wanted him to fix what he did. Now, however, I understand that his debt is not to me. The debt for my dad's sins has never been owed to me. The debt is owed to God. It's hard to put in a text, but I just want to thank you, Brother Dunford, for teaching this lesson, which has allowed me through the atonement of Christ to do something I've been trying to do for a very long time. I can honestly say that I forgive my dad. And forgiving him does not let him off the hook because he is not on my hook. He is on God's hook. What a beautiful thing the atonement is. And then she said, her last three words, I am free. She finally stopped hurting herself. Now, let me clarify. In what sense does servant number one commit the worst sin? He is not saying that rape is a worse sin to God than forgiving a rape, than, than hating a rapist. What he's saying is that their debt to me is not as big as my debt to God. Now, do they still owe a debt to the king? Yes. Their debt for being a rapist added to their $22 billion debt, that's the debt they owe the king. He's not saying this debt is bigger than this debt. What he's saying is the debt they owe you 
is much, much smaller than the debt you owe the king. So don't be the person that owes the king more because you're unwilling to forgive the debt they owe you. That's the dumb thing that we do. So I am standing as a witness to testify that you get to choose how much mercy God grants you. You are in control of his mercy. If you want mercy, how do you receive it? You grant it. If you choose not to grant mercy, then you are choosing to have him not grant you. So once again, what I do over here on the side affects my relationship with Heavenly Father. So don't hurt yourself. You've already been hurt. Don't add to that hurt by hurting yourself and gaining back the 22 billion. You're much better. There's a better way to live. There's a much better way to live. Trust that God will hold them accountable for their transgressions. You let God deal with that. They don't owe you. They owe him. And that debt will be paid one way or another. If they repent, Jesus will pay it. If not, they'll pay it. That debt will be paid to everyone's satisfaction. But let go of the debt they owe you. Release them. Now, let me go back to the parable that Naomi read. I just, I love the wording here. Tell me what the king did to servant number one. The language here is beautiful. Ah, I don't know why I'm getting this. Okay, let me clear that out. There we go. What's the wording in verse 27? What's the synonym for forgiveness in verse 27? He was moved with compassion and loosed him. He loosed him from the debt. You have not forgiven until you loose them. As long as you're holding on to it in your heart, you have not forgiven. You can say it all you want. But until you loose them, you are loosed from this debt. So if you want him to loose you, you have to loose them. If you don't, if you insist that they pay you, you will pay a much bigger price than you ever got. Let it go. Everything they've done, 
let it go. Your mom, your dad, your best friend, your boss, whoever it is that hurts you, let it go. Loose them and watch what happens here. Watch what comes into your life from the person you owe a much better, bigger debt to because you let go of a smaller debt. Don't hurt yourself because they hurt you. One last metaphor. In the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement, they would take two goats. One goat was sacrificed on the altar, and the other goat, they ceremonially laid their burdens. They laid the burdens on this goat, and then they chased it out where no one had ever been. That's literally where the name scapegoat came from. The scapegoat is one you put your burdens on, and they carry your burden. Now, clearly, that goat is supposed to represent the only person who can take your, debt, your burden away. But here's what we do. There's a false version of scapegoating. The false version of scapegoating is to take the burden and lay it on, and it's logical. Who do we lay the burden on when someone's hurt us? We lay the burden on them. This girl was expecting her father to fix what he broke. Now, can I ask you a question? Can he? Could that father ever fix what he broke? What if he begged for her forgiveness? Would it fix what he, bro what he broke? He will never be able. And the more she insists that he fix it, the more she's going to be hurt because he can't. But is there someone who can? Is there someone who can fix the pain of having been abused? Now you lay your burden on that person and he can carry it away. You lay your burden on the person who caused the pain, they will never, ever, ever carry it away. I've watched so many for years, I've watched my whole life people like murder victims and the families of murder victims they want a front row seat when the murderer is executed. Do they walk away feeling better because the murderer was executed? Does it heal them? Does him dying somehow fix their pain? Never does, does it? But is there someone who can fix their pain? And the answer is yes. And he willingly offers that service. It cost him dearly to be able to do so. And he is asking that you place the burden on him, not on servant number two. With all my soul, I am telling you, you control God's mercy. You control how merciful he will be to you. This from heaven depends on this. If you want 
to be free of the 22 billion. Let go. Loose them. Take the burden off of them. Trust that God will deal with them. And lay the burden on the Savior. I testify he will carry it away. If you are unwilling to do that and you insist that they pay you, first of all, you'll never be paid. And second of all, you will pay dearly. Don't hurt yourself after they have hurt you. Let it go, loose, and he will forgive you. Of that I testify in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen.